This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, Patrick Brown is with us, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Lots to talk about. Uh, of course, tolls, hydro, and uh, everything else we can find. And Patrick is with us now. Hello, Patrick. How are you today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this, Patrick. Before we get started, I don't think I've ever asked you about Trump before, but I just want to get your take. What are your thoughts on the fact that he's uh, 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 Time Magazine's Person of the Year? Any surprises there for you? I think everyone's surprised uh, by what happened in the in, in the U.S. Uh, it was certainly an unpredictable um, election, and uh, you know, I, I said when it was all happening, uh, um, out of 300 million people, that those were their two finest candidates I think uh, uh, was unfortunate uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty ugly election that's uh, a very good point I'm convinced this isn't about left or right this isn't about race or religion this is about underestimating the disdain of the silent majority middle class your thoughts on that well you know I, I think the US and Canada are are different and there's, there's different dynamics um, but I do think sometimes uh, the silent majority is ignored that uh, they're uh, rights are trampled on, um, and are not to draw similarities uh, between the two. But I think there's very different issues at play in the U.S. than there is in Canada or Ontario. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm going to ask you a, phil- a philosophical conservative question. That's an awful big word for me. But, um, you know, lots of it, it seems that conservatism is under fire now. It seems that uh, the left will point to things like racism and the alt-right and all of this in order to brand everybody. You know, you're dealing with those issues uh, uh, and some of that controversy with the social conservatism of the Niagara West Glambrook candidate. Uh, we're seeing it federally with people like uh, Kelly Leach and what happened on the steps of the, Ale- of the Alberta legislature. How do... How do conservatives move forward and more to the center and try to represent what the average Canadian wants as opposed to getting dragged into this by the opposition? Well, you know, I, I think Kathleen Wynne's government is uh, very uh, smart tactically. They're good campaigners. They know how to uh, do diversion stunts. Um, you know, what I've said is it doesn't matter um, if you go to a, a mosque, a synagogue, um, a church, uh it, you know what your faith is is irrelevant. Uh, my focus and uh, my focus on my speeches and my work at Queens Park and the legislature um, is how do we get skyrocketing hydro rates under control? How do we cut red tape? How do we create an environment in which investment is welcomed in Ontario and we start creating jobs again? How do we deal with the debt levels? You know, I I think people are struggling to get by. They're really feeling the pinch, and I think these distractions um, are are just a way for the government to avoid. A conversation on their own record. All right, fourteen hundred uh, disconnected by Hydro One for not paying their bills over uh, the last little while. A uh, Global News did an excellent expose and kept following up on this, and eventually presented a story which uh, the executive vice president of customer care and corporate affairs for Hydro One has reversed. This we're going to have him on after you. Um, are, are, are you surprised that we've got to this point where it's taken something like this in order to seem to get anyone's attention? Yeah, it's you know the the complete lack of oversight of this government on hydro. Um, the the fact that you have fourteen hundred people mistakenly disconnected, um, it, it's it's tough to swallow. But you know what's a more alarming number 
is that, you know, in a report this summer, there's 568,000 Ontarians in, in arrear. They can't afford to pay their hydro bills. There's people, a lot of people in Ontario living in energy poverty, and they've seen their bills go up tenfold. And, and how do you plan for that? You know, a lot of seniors on fixed incomes, they're really struggling. And the saddest part of this all is that it's self-inflicted. We've given away $6 billion in surplus electricity. Forget Donald Trump uh, making America great. Right now, Kathleen Wynne is. She's giving free electricity to Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, and we do it every day. And we charge you for it. We charge Ontarians for it. And so we need to deal with this flawed hydro policy we have here in Ontario, where we have these 20-year agreements that we're locked into to buy, whether we need it or not, and have to give it away. We need to fix that so that people can have competitive energy prices again. Uh, I heard the clips of you uh, and Kathleen Wynne's exchange in the ledge uh, earlier on in the week talking about this. She hammered at you and said, you know, all you guys do is cut her up and the party and everything that they do, but you have no plan of your own. Is that accurate? What is your plan? Well, she actually wouldn't ask, answer any of my questions. She just punted them to her ministers. We, we, we couldn't get her on the record at all today. Six times we tried. Um, you know, I, I, we have a plan. We're going to stop the fire sale of Hydro One. We're going to return municipal zoning authority um, for those municipalities that are unwilling to host that don't want these mega uh, renewable uh, uh, turbines. Um, and uh, frankly, we're going to deal with the surplus. You know, this government has benefited extraordinarily from the surplus. The 30 companies that got these mega contracts donated $1.3 million to the Ontario Liberal Party. This is bad policy. It appears to have been influenced by big donations. The Auditor General says we've overpaid for renewables by $2 billion, and we're going to get that right. We're going to fix that. You know, you know how bad it is right now? We, our, our water power in Ontario... Places like Niagara Falls, we're not even running at full capacity. We're mothballing hydroelectric projects around this province. Our own green energy, water power that's green, we can't use because we signed these 20-year deals with foreign companies who have supported the Liberal Party. How can we, and obviously I'm asking the wrong person this, and but I'm hoping you'll ask this question to her, how can we have faith in moving forward on cap-and-trade when she admits her energy green energy plan was a mistake? If that was a mistake, what she learned from it, what can we take into the, into the cap-and-trade tax? And how do we know that in a year she won't be crying to us and saying, well, that was a mistake too? I think we should have no faith in it. Uh, the, the, you know, she said that her Green Energy Act was a mistake, but she hasn't changed any of the policies. It's one thing to feel bad and apologize. It's another thing to actually correct course, and they're not. In terms of the cap-and-trade, the Auditor General pointed out that under Kathleen Lynn's cap-and-trade, we have to buy green credits from California and Quebec. By 2020, we're going to send $460 million to California and Quebec. By 2030, $2 billion. It's a wealth transfer of Ontario businesses uh, to Quebec and California. It's bad enough we're giving free electricity away. The fact we're going to be having to send revenue uh, to our competitors uh, is is completely wrong. And I'm glad the Auditor General was able to point this out in the annual report because it is ridiculous. Uh, all right, let's move on to road tolls. Obviously, uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory expressed interest in uh, taxing people that are coming in from the 905 into the uh, 416 in, in, in order to use their facilities. It seems that uh, the Wynn government has uh, won't stand in his way to do that. Uh, your thoughts on that whole process? Should there be toll roads going in and out of Toronto? I'm against these toll roads. Uh, listen, it's going to create a war of, of, of tolls. 
It, she's saying that the city of Toronto wants the province to grant special permission to put poles on the DVP and Gardner. She will pass the provincial regulation to do that. Um, I think that's wrong. What happens? Mississauga is saying they want to now, if Toronto gets a revenue source, they want to charge everyone going to the airport. What happens if Burlington wants to put them on? What if Oakville wants to put them on? What if Hamilton wants to put tolls? It's just going to create a war of of tolls for all these municipalities. And let's remember how we got in this place. Municipalities are cash-strapped. I, I, I don't blame John Tory for not having the funds for infrastructure, but one of the reasons is the province has allocated $130 billion for infrastructure. Municipalities expected to see some of that. They expected funds to flow. And what we've seen is it hasn't. You know, the recent report suggested uh, that the government, uh, the AG suggested the government's management of infrastructure dollars has been incompetent. They're now, they, they paid a, a contractor to build a bridge upside down. They're repaving asphalt every two years instead of 15 years. We don't measure performance. We don't measure um, uh, whether, whether the job's been done properly. We, the, the, the group that built the bridge upside down had never built the bridge. And then they get a bonus and they get another contract. You know, we're, we're rewarding right now incompetent work and no wonder we're short on infrastructure dollars. There's huge cost overruns because of this incompetence. If we actually manage our infrastructure dollars properly, we wouldn't be in this position. Do you not think there is an appetite, or do you think there's an appetite, for uh, charging tolls if it goes towards something like transportation infrastructure? Here's the thing. is They're just calling it a revenue tool. You know what, the, 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 what a revenue tool is? It's a tax. Hmm. Now, it's one thing if they were saying, we're going to add new lanes to the DVP, and the poll's going to pay for that, uh, user pay system. You know, I, I'm willing to have that conversation. If you're willing to, you know, add a toll to deal with congestion between Hamilton and, and Toronto and have a new highway that, that supported um, that wasn't there before, um, that's a conversation I'm willing to examine. What I'm not willing to accept is putting tolls on our existing roads just because the, 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 the government needs more money. These are roads that have already been paid for. Do you think this is going to happen? Do you think there, this has legs? I think Kathleen Wynne is going to start letting municipalities toll roads. Uh, and in a year and a half, if I have the honor to be premier, I'm going to take those tolls down. Uh, she also, uh, getting back to energy, uh, they were talking about cap and trade and how that comes in in January. And once it does uh, and, and is a part of your bill, it won't be itemized in a line-by-line sort of scenario so you can tell where the money is going. Instead, you're, it's going to be grouped into the delivery charge. Is there anything we can do to make this more transparent? And um, again, as a politician, don't you think if you lay it out for people and explain it that they may be more apt to give you tax dollars? Yeah, I think it's it's wrong. It's it's hiding um, a government uh, cost. Uh, you know, when when Kathleen Wynne wanted to get a, bring in a PST rebate, she said it's going to be added on the bill. You'll see it on the bill. Um, but when, now, when there's a new cost added, she doesn't want to put it on the bill. It's completely in, inconsistent. Um, so it should be on the bill. There's nothing wrong with transparency. There's nothing wrong with being honest with Ontarians. And the fact that Wynne is bending over backwards to hide these costs is wrong. I think it's one of the reasons that so many Ontarians just don't trust this government. We don't trust her numbers. We don't trust the way she's going about this. Um, she should be honest with the people of Ontario. Patrick Brown has been with us, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Patrick, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
My pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. You uh, heard Bill Kelly yesterday, and uh, he initially had uh, the family on, and Mike uh, Droulet from... uh, from Global National, who did the expose on uh, on families that had been cut off. Hydro One announced, this is a press release from Hydro One, uh, and it is dated yesterday. Hydro One announced uh, that it is launching a new winter relief program to help customers in hardship to get their electricity service reconnected for the winter. About 1,400 Hydro, Hydro One residential customers are currently without electrical service doing t- due to unpaid balances. Uh, as well, this program is about doing the right thing for our customers who are experiencing a hardship, said the Executive Vice President of Customer and Corporate Affairs. We are changing the way we do business, and by doing so, we are currently interviewing all of our customers facing policy and practices, uh, including how we care for the most vulnerable customers. The Winter Relief Program is one of many changes we will be undertaking. As an extension to our annual pause on disconnections, Hydro One is reaching out to customers without electrical service to arrange reconnection for them for the remainder of the winter. Hydro One will look, uh, work with customers uh, interested in the program to determine what payment arrangements uh, they can afford, waive all reconnection fees, as well as discuss the best plan to help them get back on track. To talk more about all of this, Furio uh, Puglis is with us. He is the Executive Vice President, Customer Care and Corporate Affairs, Hydro One, and is with us now. Hello, Furio. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I'm guessing that uh, to pick up your phone, it's kind of hot, and the emails are a little hot as well. What's it like being the uh, Vice President of Customer Care for Hydro One uh, this week? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting role indeed, and uh, everybody over here is, uh, is, 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 is pretty charged up and busy this week. <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously, uh, how long have you been in this position, by the way? Uh, it's been uh, about, uh, I'm going to say, 10 weeks now. I started in early September. And uh, what is your mandate? Uh, are, are, you di- are, are you installed to change things in any way? Well, my mandate is I'm one of um, uh, five other members of the executive team that have recently joined the company uh, as we've moved from a Crown Corp to a publicly traded company. And the uh, mandate for me is clearly on the front to shift our focus uh, or as a, as a company on how we take care of our customers. And essentially, we're, we're uh, working on becoming more customer-centric. So how did this happen? How do we, you know, have television crews running around talking to people who've lost their power? How does it get to that point? Well, you know, I think that there's, we have a number of policies that uh, the company works with and has worked with for a number of years. They've been in place for reasons. Um, you know, I think as we have embarked on a process here internally to take a look at all of our customer-facing policies, we've discovered that you know, there is a level of latitude and discretion that you can apply to these policies um, and uh, be in a position where you can better care for your customers. And so, you know, that that process started, uh, you know, several months ago. And, uh, you know, we're now getting to the point where we're starting to, uh, you know, unveil some programs as uh, as we work through these. Uh so uh, again, I keep coming back to the question: How do we get here? How what what was the policy on disconnecting somebody? Well, the policies range depending on the customer that you're dealing with. But in essence, if I could, because as you can appreciate, when with any utilities, these things get into collections. The policies range from the size of what the amount owing is to 
the length of time that they've been on a payment plan and so on. But in essence, what happens is a collections team will work through a case. Uh, they'll see how the person's history has been on paying um, their, their bill. Are they capable of doing it? And, and what's their cadence been and, and their track record as they've gone through that? And if they fail to pay over certain periods, they've given, they're given many chances through that process, uh, it does and can lead to a point where there's a disconnection because, you know, there's a, a failure to meet a, a commitment. What we've discovered, and that's how we arrived to where we are today, what we've discovered is that we can go in there and actually look at these and on a more individual basis develop plans that uh, people are, uh, you know, more competent uh, and more capable of actually meeting and fulfilling. And so you're designing some of these on a case-by-case basis, which is what needs to be done. Lots of people are upset with uh, government policies to privatize Hydro One. Are you saying that one of the benefits of that will be better customer service, that uh, that was those guys that handled it so poorly and you guys are different? Well, I don't want to criticize or, or pass judgment on organization of the past. I mean, they ran uh, the operation and ran a, a reliable electricity uh, system, which we plan to do going forward. But I will say that as you transition to becoming a more privatized uh, entity and operating like a business, it gives us more latitude to function and to build programs that are more customer-leaning and customer-facing. And that's exactly what we're doing. Those of us who've joined the company from other industries, some have come from the uh, electricity utility space. Others, like myself, have come from other businesses. Um, But we're used to working in businesses where, you know, uh, we're working at building customer loyalty and keeping customers. And we're bringing that same sort of focus and mentality to Hydro One. Uh, in the case of the Global National story, which I understand uh, made quite an impact on you and was partially responsible for, for hooking, not necessarily hooking these people up, that program was coming anyway, but certainly got your attention. Uh, in that, the family, uh, the lady's name was Carol, not her real name, but what she wanted to use. Uh, was it actually their fault that uh, this whole discrep- discrepancy started? Uh, I understand a lot of this was due to the the smart uh, meter billing fiasco and that uh, that's how these people got behind. Is there any truth to that? Uh, not the smart. They, they were, there was a discrepancy back in the file. And, I, and you know, I, I, one of the things I will say is we don't like to discuss customer files publicly, but on this one, obviously, they, they've, they've uh, given some license to speak to it. There was, and that was actually worked through and corrected. What we found more uh, with respect to this case was the ability to structure a plan that the family could commit to and afford to pay and keep their electricity and their account current. Uh, that that would be probably what I would say was the biggest opportunity for correction on this file. So I guess the point that I was trying to make there, Furio, is that it wasn't their fault. Is, is that accurate? Uh, well, it's a good question. It wasn't their fault. I'd say that, uh, you know, parts of that would be correct in the sense that, you know, we had the uh, the crisis with the billing, which would have been back in 2013. There were a number of corrections that had to happen with the bill. Um, we went back and addressed that with the customers. In those cases, though, what we did put back to them was actual consumption. So it's not like they were being billed for electricity they didn't use. But there was a period, and um, these customers were not alone, where people did uh, not receive bills for months. And then what happened is they received bills with, uh, with uh, large sums on them that uh, represented uh, their capacity over the course of a few weeks or months. 
and so we've had to work with them on on collecting that money. And I would say what where we're looking for ways to improve that is how we actually go about collecting that, uh, especially when they are large sums of money like that, because we respect the fact that people don't always have that at their disposal to correct. Um, the uh, obviously this has come to the the, the forefront, uh, and, and and you've announced this plan uh, that will keep these four hundred people uh, at least warm for the winter. What happens at the end of the winter? Will they be disconnected again? Well, here's here's what I like about the plan as we work through this is that the fact that we're able to work with people through the course of the winter months, this is not like we are going to contact the person tomorrow, work through a plan, reconnect them, and then that's it. Uh, we're actually going to stay close to these files and monitor and, and uh, build plans that they can support because it's in no one's best interest to just connect and uh, and say, okay, we put you on something that we know you're not going to be able to support for the long term. We want to try to build some plans, and that's why I say these are case by case, whereby at the end of the winter, these people can continue to sustain their services. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair bit of heavy lifting for our teams to be working directly with the customers to go through this, but the value in all of this is that I think we will identify um, some some uh, systems and plans that people can actually live uh, with for the longer term, not just through a winter period. Uh, in the press release, it talks about doing the right thing. Does that admit? Does that mean that Hydro One is admit is admitting that they did the wrong thing by disconnecting these people? No, the, the by no stretch did they do the wrong thing. You know, we have a team of people at this company that are very dedicated and very committed to what they do here. And they have a lot of respect and care for their customers. Uh, they were operating within the scope of policies that were developed that uh, they were told to run with. And uh, now what we're doing is we're saying, you know, uh, there's a new, uh, new approach uh, to doing business. Uh, we look at these policies and we can give our people that are working in the call centers uh, in the collections group more latitude to affect some discretion on how to care for the customer. Uh, so it's really just taking, you know, what we had and actually applying discretion and latitude to make it better. Ferio, you must be hearing uh, what everybody's screaming and yelling about and, and how uh, the disdain that they've developed for this government, which they once gave a majority to, about the high cost of, of electricity, the lack of transparency, nobody seems to know what's going on, the left hand's blaming the right hand. What do you have to say to people as, you know, we continue through with this process of privatization? Uh, what sort of confidence can you give them? Well, there's certainly no, no shortage of political debate on this subject and public debate on it. The first thing I would give as advice to any member of the community and the public, and I've stated this publicly in, in my own speaking engagements, is be informed. Understand how your electricity system works in Ontario. Uh, you know, Hydro One owns the bill and the custody with the customer, and we own that. We take accountability for it, and we respect it, and you're going to see more coming that way. What people need to understand is that Hydro One does not control the lion's share of costs uh, and rising costs on electricity in this province. Only 32% or 32 cents, sorry, of every dollar spent on electricity on your bill is attributed to us. We deliver and we transmit electricity. The lion's share of the expense on electricity today in this province comes from the cost of generation. 
And so, you know, I think people need to be aware of that. Um, and at the same token, then we need to explore ways in which we can think, are there ways in which we can get that, that cost down? Um, but my biggest advice to people would be, to understand that. And well, I I, you, you know, Furio, my first reaction to that is no, nobody does. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't mean to, ex, you know, speak for everybody by any means, but yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody knows. And I think if you ask them, it's not through lack of trying. It's just, it's just the perpetual shell game, which has become the Ontario energy system, where it's just, it's just a maze of, of confusion. And I think lots are feeling it's meant to be that way, uh, just so they can't grasp it. I mean, it's the same thing as getting a line by line. Uh, admission of, of where your costs go and, and things like that. I mean, I don't think people think that there is transparency and when they do look that they can even understand it at all. Yeah, Scott, look, I, I, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think there's been, there is a, uh, a host of information out there on uh, electricity in the province. Uh, some of it is, you know, good information, and, and, and then some of the facts are just not weaved together in a fashion that are easily understood. Uh, what I can tell you from our point of view is we would like to take a role as an organization, as a company, to help with that education. And, and um, you know, one of the things that we plan to do more of going forward is, is pointing people in that direction. We're redesigning our bills. On those bills, we're going to make it much clearer for people to understand how the cost is broken down so that they understand their electricity system. And then there are means in which we can help with that education as well. Because, as you say, it's an important piece that uh, we need to understand on a, on a matter that has become very complex. Where is this going? I mean, are we, and obviously a lot of people thought that, yeah, this is a news cycle thing, it'll drop out of the way, but whether it's, you know, uh, uh, this or, or any other issue pertaining to hydroelectricity, this just seems to be growing and growing and growing and growing. And, you know, for example, Premier, and I, and I, and I know you're not in the political end of this, but the Premier coming out a couple of weeks ago and saying that the energy plan was a mistake or mistakes were made, we really don't know because she didn't clarify that either. Uh, but but how, how are Ontarians supposed to feel confident about anything moving ahead when we don't really know what the mistakes were or what she's done to correct them, or that the same mistakes won't be, you know, uh, uh, we won't stumble on the same mistakes again of lack of due diligence when we move towards cap and trade? Yeah, look, I, that's, a, that's a tough question for me to answer in the sense that I can only give you a perspective from what we are prepared to do as a company here, uh, shifting gears. I mean, the political spectrum, I think those are good questions and they should be asked um, in that, that arena. From our point of view, what I can tell you is, you know, we operate on a cost recovery model and what we're doing in this company today is we're looking for all the places we can find efficiencies to run the business uh, better, more cost-effectively, and when we do, we can return that value back to customers. At the same time, what's important for us, because the bulk of the province is dependent on our wires and our, and our grid system, is that we keep that in very good repair. And, you know, when you say what's going forward, what's the future, I can tell you that we have people in this company that are dedicated to the province, dedicated to the communities they serve and the jobs that they do, and they will be out there uh, ensuring that we're delivering this service in a reliable fashion and uh, and in a caring fashion. And, and that's what we're shifting our minds to and our attention to these days. 
lots are saying that this the the reason we're paying what we're paying in, in electricity bills, and I guess you know again you, you've only got a portion of that is for upkeep on things like infrastructure, getting off coal. But we've been hearing that argument for uh, you know 15 years, uh, way back when the PCs first decided they were going to move towards getting. Uh, uh, us off coal. So, I mean, isn't that an ongoing sort of thing in, in, in that every, every uh, region has to deal with? Why is it crippling us so much? Well, it's a phenomenon of actually the move to green energy. We're not the only jurisdiction in the world or, or in North America that has, has faced this. Uh, you know, these are certainly decisions that were made uh, several years ago to uh, build and uh, bring into the province green energy initiatives that would uh, help certainly the environment and help us breathe cleaner air. I mean, today there are no more coal-fired plants in, in the province, uh, and as a result, you know, you've seen, uh, you know, smog days and, and you've seen pollution uh, reduced as a result of it. Now, uh, the green energy initiatives, uh, they're expensive and uh, certainly are uh, aspects of the generation uh, the forms of generation that are, uh, to a large degree, most costly. You know, we have, what, six forms of generation. You've got hydro, nuclear, bio, wind, uh, solar, and gas. And your your green initiatives with solar, wind, and bio uh, are probably the ones that are, because of the technology, the most expensive. When people are wary of privatization and, and what the government has done moving towards privatization, what would you say to them? Uh, are you saying, and, and, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but from what I got earlier on, you were alluding, that, alluding to the fact that service is going to be better in situations like we're talking about the disconnections. Uh, but again, I, I guess the big question is, will it be competitive? Will it be cheaper? Will it be, or I, guess it, I guess no one expects it to be cheaper, but how much more expensive will it be? Well, I think, you know, the, the expense is going to be driven largely by the, the commodity itself and the cost to generate will be largely what drives that. Uh, you know, systems, uh, you know, these are big capital systems that, you know, um, need to be maintained. And so when we look at delivery and transmission, there will obviously be some costs associated with that. With respect to how we go private, I think what I would say to you is, um, you know, give give us a chance. Um, we are changing gears in how we look at how we're running this business. I think we've got um, people that have been in uh, this space for a long time. We have very talented people in the organization, very skilled and technically knowledgeable, that with the new structure on how to run the business can help us to advance things that are important to customers. Uh, and this could come from a myriad of, of opportunities. It come, could come through innovation and technology. It will come through uh, continued maintenance and enhancement of a system so it's reliable and it's there when they need it. And for our commercial customers, they have good quality of power. And then at the same token, too, we want our customers to be able to reach us at any point in time, and we want to have a local presence. The next phase is being private is also having a greater presence in our communities. Community investment will uh, start to become even more of a profile for us where we're investing in communities, helping charities, and, and helping to, uh, to build that. Ferio Puglis has been with us. He is the Executive Vice President, Customer Care and Corporate Affairs for Hydro One. Uh, Ferio, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. And same to you. Thank you, Scott. Have a good day. You too. Uh, boy, how would you like to be that guy? 
at the end of the day, uh, out of all of the customer care and uh, sort of scenarios, I-, I bet you that's the hottest one on the planet right now is picking up that phone. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. This is uh, very cool. And, and when you think of uh, all the innovation that has happened over time, and where we are with renewable energy and how do we do it uh, efficiently? How do we do it with due diligence? A local Hamilton company has built a system that is designed to help energy users to save money on their bills by building an energy management unit in an old shipping container that actually can store power. To talk more about all of this, Darko uh, Darko Yulakovic is with us. He is the president of EcoH and with us now. Hello, Darko. How are you today? Uh, I'm well, uh... And thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Explain to us what EcoH is. Well, the EcoH is the uh, the ecologically uh, is, is ecosystem uh, power management system that helps uh, uh, helps with the with the high utility uh, uh, charges that we have been charges. Mainly, it helps with with, with companies and, and and the consumers paying for the for the global adjustments and peak power demand uh, uh, charges, uh, which are the, the bulk of our uh, uh, cost uh, or utility costs here in Ontario, because they, on every hundred dollars that, that we spend on utility bills, seventy-seven or about seventy-seven dollars are spent uh, against those uh, adjustment charges. So, how does this system work? How exactly does it save uh, the customer money? Well, well, essentially, what it does is, is, is a battery-based energy storage system that, that discharge, uh, discharges the energies and puts it into the systems at the at the times of high demand, uh, the peak demand, and recharges recharges the the, the systems uh, it, it, overnight and uh, when the when the energy uh, uh, prices are, are very very low. In comparison, is is or just to give you an idea. <clears throat> there, are, there are several rates depending on the local utilities. Is uh, how how the charges are passed on the consumer, but the uh, but they go anywhere from like 18 cents a kilowatt hour at the peak hours to like less than less than a cent like uh, overnight. Mm-hmm. So so by by helping helping the system, you know, having to have have that uh, energy available at the peak hours, you are essentially offsetting your energy bill. Um, on a regular basis. So let me uh, simplify this, and if I'm right, yay. If not, you'll have to correct me on this, uh, Darko. So basically what happens is when electricity is the cheapest, when it's uh, the cheapest to the customer, at that point this unit uh, uh, takes electricity in and stores it, and then when peak periods are high, you pull from this battery as a, as opposed to using more energy during during a peak period, which you're going to get charged more for. Correct. You're you're not using the the energy off the grid is at the peak hours and and uh, and using the system to discharge the batteries at a time and recharging it at the at the low rate. That's the that's the very sim- simplified kind of a way of explaining the system. So uh, this is all, I guess, packaged inside what would have been uh, normally like a, a storage container that you see on the back of trucks that go on ships and such. Well, depending on the size of, of the system, obviously, you know, it can be stored on, or, or, on in smaller or bigger containers. But essentially, that's what it is. Who would use this? Who would be a customer? Who would be interested in this type of of uh, unit? 
Yeah, well, the main interest that we are getting is like like from the industries uh, or what they what they refer to uh, is, is the type A consumers, is which would be the consumers that that are using more than three megawatts of power on a regular basis. So that could be like an industry, hospitals, uh, uh, airports. Uh, it could be different different types of uh, different types of the factories, automotive industry. So it is it is mainly for the for the uh, uh, industry consumers. Not for an average uh, cons- uh, consumer, which which are classified as class B consumers, because they don't get, they don't they don't have this uh, um, these global adjustment charges that are actually rolled into the commodity prices for the average consumer. Hmm. So, so, so it, it is the it is the high demand consumers that have more than three megawatts that have the most of the benefits from the from the global adjustment. If they are able, by using our system, to reduce their contribution to the overall global adjustment charges, is they get they get the benefits that are you know, sometimes you know multiples of their regular uh, annual uh, uh, utility bill. So so that their savings are up to five times bigger than the regular annual bill they have. Uh, battery storage, obviously, uh, something that is the technology is ongoing. I mean, that, that's certainly at the heart of electric vehicles, this sort of thing. Um, you, you know, to to um, I guess charge a uh, an average size hospital or such. How much equipment is needed? How big a unit is needed? You know, for something like that. Have we made progress as far as far as making these things more efficient and smaller? Well, you know, it's it's unbelievable, you know, what the technology has done uh, with the batteries in, in in the last like three or four years. I think the Tesla was was the one leading leading the charge, and they actually forced forced the the, the battery manufacturers to become to come up with a more efficient uh, batteries, the ones that have a the density like like three or four times bigger than in, in in the same volume of the battery than comparing like just like three or four years ago. So. So that's on one side. On the other side is the, the battery cost has, has has come down significantly over the over the last uh, several years because of the because the ratio between the supply and demand. It, so just to give you an, an example, the uh, the uh, if you ask me a question about the average hospital, I'm just going to make an assumption that a hospital uses about say three to four megawatts of power on a regular basis. The system that will the EcoH system that will help offset that hospital utility charges in the most efficient way would be what we refer to as a four megawatt system with with eight megawatt hours of, of energy stored in it. That system would be probably like two forty feet containers and one twenty feet container, like in in size. It will take about eleven hundred square feet. Uh, what about cost to the business on this? When do they get to recoup this? How long before they do? Yeah, it is. It is. I'm glad you asked that question because it's, there are two types of savings. One type of saving is the one that we discussed, and it is the one that you you don't use the power when it's most expensive, instead of you using the system and you recharge it when it's cheap. That's the one part of that. And that actually, that kind of a saving you can. You can uh, uh, get like on daily on, or or monthly basis. The, 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 what we ref, what we refer to as being a global adjustment charge, which is which is applicable in Ontario, the benefit of it actually it has a delay of twelve months because you get you get that adjustment charges 
charged to you is based on the last year's performance. So there's a 12-month delay before you get the benefits of the global adjustment. Darko Yulakovic is with us, president of EcoH, a local Hamilton company has built a system designed to help high-energy users save money on their bills by storing power that they buy during off-peak periods and then using it from the battery supply during peak periods. Darko, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.